Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that we have a friend in Jesus. We thank you for how great thou art. Heavenly Father, we just we lift up Pastor Curtis as he comes up here, not to just preach for, for just one, but for the many. We thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Second Corinthians, <coughs> chapter 5, 11 through 21. I kind of have to say that ahead of time because who knows if I'll remember or forget. Sometimes you, um, I read a, a passage of scripture and it's a struggle to find something that, you know, it's like, what did he mean there? What does that mean? And what can I get out of that? And sometimes when that happens, I just want to go on. I want to keep, keep going, move on to something else, and uh, find something uh, that's not the case with this scripture. I wrote me, myself a note on my notes. Wow, every single verse. You know, if you look at this scripture and you can't see something meaningful, then um, I don't know, maybe you need to get saved. That's not meant judgmentally, okay? Really not. But this is an amazing passage. And so the, the Apostle Paul writes to uh, the Corinthians, still kind of defending what he did, defending himself, defending his apostleship, defending his going on somewhere else instead of coming there when there was such trouble, defending the letter that he wrote, and, of course, um, defending, first of all, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so if you have your Bible and you're able, um, I'm going to ask you to stand. We'll read verses 11 through 21. We'll finish the chapter, and then... Uh, and then next week we'll start chapter 6. 1 Corinthians. I told people earlier that it does that because I have such an electric personality. And they went, Pasha. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 11 through 21. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men known to God, and I also trust are well known in your consciences. For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf, that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God, or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And if he died for all, that those, and he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for just the, um, the treasure trove of, of gold 
nuggets in Scripture that we see here. We thank you for the truth of all of this. And God, we pray um, that as we read, as we study, God, that you will make it real to us. And Father, that, um, that we will know how to apply each verse here to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The fear of the Lord. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your consciences. One of the things that we've got to see is uh, if there's anybody that's ever understood the fear of God, it probably would have been the Apostle Paul. I mean, you think about what he went through and what happened, um, and you think about his, um, his uh, life before uh, he came to Christ, his life before Christ came to him. Um, and then you think what he was doing. He was traveling from town to town, city to city, searching down, hunting for Christians that he could have um, arrested and even put to death. Why? Not because he hated them so much, but because he hated what they said. He hated that they said that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. He thought they were blasphemers. And, uh, and so when he was on the road to Damascus, basically God knocked him on his back. And God used that time to bring him to Christ. And so uh, if anybody would know the fear of God, it would be him. Um, and, uh, and so he says, um, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Uh, and, and then you've got to think about this also. There's two options we have. There's two. People think there might be others, you know. I mean, you hear the phrase, all roads lead to Rome, okay? There's only one that leads to heaven, all right? And that is Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The other roads, all the other roads, you know where they go? Yeah, they lead to hell, all right? And if you think about that, you think of that terror of, of, of the possibility of hell, and you think that God is the only one that can save you, and he is, through his son Jesus Christ, then there has to be some terror, that some fear that people will go through realizing all of this and yet still rejecting Jesus Christ. And so um, because of that terror and that fear, we persuade men. We persuade men. And we can get on to into that a little bit more. We persuade men that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that Jesus Christ is the only way, that there is no other way that men might be saved except by the name of Jesus Christ. Um, but we are well known to God, he says, and I also trust are well known in your consciences. Now, some of the things that you've got to understand is they, some people in Corinth didn't think Paul was well known by God. And they didn't think that Paul even knew God, some of them, because they weren't seeing the kind of evidences in his life that they thought they should see. Okay, and <laughs> we've said this, we've shared this, but Paul was, um, was aging, he was... Um, he was persecuted, uh, he was beaten, he was whipped, he was put in jail. And I don't know about you, but that takes a toll, you know. I'm glad I haven't been through that. People wonder about my knees because I run. I've found some good news out. Running actually is good for your knees if you're not running on concrete. Seriously, it actually strengthens the cartilage, everything there. It makes your knees stronger. Well, all the beatings that Paul took probably made him stronger spiritually but it took a toll on his body. We know that as we age and as we go through all those things, we don't recover as quickly from illness and from injury and even from surgery uh, that we would at a younger age. Well, that's kind of what was happening to Paul. And they looked at him and they thought that, that this, um, this man who's been beaten so much and has been persecuted, then he is not accepted by God. And they, they had a hard time connecting the idea of um, Jesus Christ dying on the cross 
even though to some Jews that was a curse, to the Jews that was a curse, but yet these Corinthians accepted that, but they didn't accept the fact that Paul also had to go through the same kind of suffering that Jesus went through. And so they weren't accepting him as a follower. You know, They were doubting his apostleship. They were doubting his salvation because of that. So he says, listen, we are well known to God, and I trust are well known in your consciences. Some of them, not all of them. For we do not commend ourselves again to you. In other words, we're not introducing ourselves. We're not reintroducing ourselves. That word commend means to introduce, to, to share their, um, uh, who they were, to share what they were about. And so when he first came to them, he wanted to let them know, I am Paul, a follower of Jesus Christ. And now he says, I don't need to do that again. You know who I am. But instead of me doing that, we're giving you an opportunity to boast on our behalf. I, um, can you imagine being one of the churches that the Apostle Paul went to, and one of the churches that the Apostle Paul spent so much time with, that then he says, do I have to introduce myself to you again? Everybody there should have known who he was. And not only should they all have known who he was, they should have been boasting to people around about Paul coming to see them. We know Paul. We've heard from him. We understand his gospel. We get it. And then they should have been able to boast on, um, uh, on the fact that Paul was coming there. We know him. We've heard the gospel from him. He is the one that was knocked off his horse or whatever he's riding, knocked on his back, and saw Jesus on the road to Damascus. This is the one that came to our church to preach and to teach and to, and to start this church. Here's the one that came here. We know him. And, and he says, I'm giving you an opportunity to boast on all of that, that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. I've kind of touched on that a little bit, that idea of boasting in appearance. Um, I read a story. Uh, it's a short it's, it's written in the fo form of a, of a play. It's called Fred and Irma. Not Fred and Irma, Fred and Irma, all right? And it's a husband and a wife, and um, they have a son. The son is, uh, uh, um, is an avid churchgoer and probably a pretty strong Christian, following the pastor of this church, uh, doing the things and learning from him and being discipled by this pastor. Um, this pastor, however, is a little bit different. He owns one suit. Now, I was there for a while, and eventually I bought a few more. But he owns one suit because rather than buying more suits, he would give his money to missions. And the people of the church would look at him and go, you only have one suit. You're not really presenting yourself very well. We're not really sure you, we want you to continue to be our pastor. And that's the kind of thing that happened in that congregation and it's, it's, it's fiction, um, but it kind of gives us a picture of what was going on with Paul. Paul didn't make a very good presentation, you know. Um, by the way, I'm, I'm pretty cheap. I mean, the suit looks nice, right? And the tie, that's really thrifty. I mean, I like that tie. Um, that was given, by the way. I didn't pay for it. Somebody else did a few years ago. That's nice. Um, but if I can buy a tie for three cents at a secondhand shop or get one, for, I'm going to do that, okay? Um, to me, that's just good stewardship, right? Okay, so I say all that to say, yeah, I have some, but I'm not going to spend $300, $400, $500 on a suit, okay? Somebody came to my office today, and he said, uh, you know, I, I thought of you today while I was at the store, and I saw this big model of, uh, of the Batmobile. And he said, I thought about buying it for you, and I found out they wanted $600. And I said, you didn't buy it? I'm glad because I would have had to shoot you. Okay, I didn't say that from the pulpit, right? 
because uh, those things are ridiculous. And I mean, yeah, I got 97 cent Batmobiles in my office because I love those things. They're cool. But I'm not spending crazy money on things. It's ridiculous. There are so many other things to spend money on. And this pastor that, that I'm talking about in Fred and Irma, he didn't spend money on extra soup. He gave that money so that other people could eat, so that other people could have a place to stay. He was giving to others who had need. And Paul was kind of like that, too. He, you know, I don't know how many outfits he had. Nobody does. Nobody knows, did he walk with a cane? I mean, I'm guessing he might have by that time. I'm guessing he looked kind of decrepit. He looked kind of beat down and torn down. And there's, I don't know how you can be a minister of God if you look like that. And so what they were doing was they were judging him based on appearance and not in heart. Because if they would have judged him on heart, they would have seen that all of those things that were tough in his life, all of the scars that he had from the beatings and all of the... uh, the pain and stuff that he suffered and the limping along, if that's the case, all of that came because of his heart for God, for Jesus Christ, and for the people that he ministered to. So they made a really false judgment, and, um, and he said, listen, we want you to have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. Because you boast in an appearance. What does it say? Uh, is it Second Samuel? Um, 1 Samuel 16, 7, the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things a man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so we need to learn to judge people by the heart and not by their looks. And sometimes we have a hard time with that. We have a hard time sometime with that. I mean, um, and especially in Christian circles. I mean, face it. You get the one with the long hair and the ponytail and the, you know, whatever, uh, the beard and maybe the, um, what are those things, tattoos? Sometimes we judge a little bit, don't we? Um, and I think it's kind of wrong to do that. Sometimes we judge on the basis of, um, of uh, skin tone, right? That's wrong, you know? You, base, you judge on the base of heart and where they, you know, whether they trust Christ or not and whether they're following him. So anyway... Uh, we give you an opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. Don't boast in appearance. Boast in heart, we say. And, and we can see f- later on that his heart was fully devoted to God and to Jesus Christ. For if we are beside ourselves, it's for God. If there is sound mind, it is for God. Now, one of the things, there's, there's several interpretations about this. And... Um, and one of the things that we, we understand is that some people think that Paul probably spoke in tongues a lot when he was off in his prayer closet, if he had one, or off praying all by himself. But he probably didn't speak in tongues much at all when he was in public. Okay? And some of them think that maybe that's what this is talking about. Okay? That he, um, uh, he didn't have enough of those ecstatic visions. He didn't have enough, you know, he didn't pray in tongues and speak in tongues enough and he's saying listen if we are if we are um, beside ourselves it's for God so in other words if we speak in tongues it's for God it brings it brings glory to God and it it um, edifies myself but if we are of sound mind in other words if we're using sound logic we're preaching 
and teaching well to where it's easy for people to understand. They can understand not just the, the words, but they can understand the meaning of the word. Then it's for you. It's to bring you to Christ. And so um, some people think that's one of the answers. Uh, he might be saying, listen, if we experience ecstasy, then it's something between us and God. But if we're in our right mind and use reasonable, intelligent speech, then it's for your benefit. And But the Corinthians had a, a will, if you will, a fixation on those kind of things. And they were thinking that he had a shortage of those. And... Um, and they might have wanted to see him in that kind of a condition because they expected a minister of God to have those kind of experiences. And so because he didn't as much in public, then they were thinking, well, there's not a whole lot to you, you know. There's, if you don't have that, you must not be very spiritual. You must not really be walking with God. You must, you know, um, you must be less than us because we have those kind of things. Um, but then there's also the idea that... Um, that um, some people thought he was really mad, insane, okay? And you think about it, um, the, some of the Jewish uh, opponents might have been accusing him of some kind of mental instability, you know? Uh, maybe he was even too eccentric for them. Not eccentric enough for the Corinthians and too eccentric for his Jewish opponent. Um, and so he might have been contrasting what he was then to what he is now, um, and then you can think about the idea that when he wrote that one letter that we don't have, the letter that brought them to tears and the letter that brought them sorrow, can you imagine being somewhere and you don't know what's going on? You know, um, when my boys travel, when my mom and dad and my brother travel, uh, and of course, when I travel, my mom does this, call me when you get home, you know, or let me know when you get home. I mean, we're all like that, right? Because we want to know they're safe. And if you don't know they're safe, guess what? There's going to be there's going to be wonder. There's going to be, um, you're going to be worried. You're going to be concerned. And finally, when you get that text message or that phone call, now you're relieved. Well, can you imagine Paul, as he's worked so long with the Corinthians, shared with them so much, poured his life and his heart into their life, into, their, uh, into them, that now there's a problem between them. And he is grieving. He is hurt. He is um, beside himself with grief. And then he writes the letter. And, uh, and immediately almost after he sends the letter off, he is, um, he's, what's the word I'm looking for? He regrets sending that letter. He, because he, or immediately when he hears about it, because he regrets it because it brought them such sorrow. And so now you, you just think, well, maybe that's what they're talking about with him saying, if I'm beside myself. Because I'm so worried about you. If we're beside ourselves, it's for God. For a sound mind, it's for you. So we don't know exactly what that is, um, but uh, um, we do know, and I kind of, I, I mean, either way, you can't judge people because they don't speak in tongues, you know? I mean, think about some of these things. What are the, the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. Did I get them all? Yeah, I said patience. I know, I say it, I say it patience and I read it in my Bible and it says long suffering and I go, no, 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 no. So there's nine of them. Love, joy, peace, long suffering, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Meekness. See, that's not what mine says. We're going to have to go to Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So it depends on what you do, right? 
on what you read. But there you go. So we think about those things. Those are more the fruit of the Spirit than speaking in tongues. Okay? And so if you see those things in somebody's life, and you know they saw it in Paul's, if they didn't, then he certainly wouldn't have written about it in Galatians, would he? Okay? Um, you know they saw those things in Paul's life, but they were judging him because they weren't seeing the speaking in tongues and those kind of things. But... Um, His whole concern was living for God and sharing the gospel and preaching and teaching the scriptures so that they would know Christ like he knew Christ. All right, so um, for the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. Now, the love of Christ compels us. That word, the love of Christ, it can mean three things. One, it can mean Christ's love for Paul. Two, it can mean Paul's love for Christ. Or three, it can mean both. Christ's love and Paul's love. The love of Christ compels us. His love for me, my love for him, compels me, compels us, because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. If one died for all. Isn't that something? If one died for all, then all died. Did one die for all? Okay, I'm going to say it like this, and I expect a, re a response. All, one died for all. Jesus died for everybody. Yes. Okay, good. Amen, right? Right? Um, Jesus died for everybody, and if Jesus died for everybody, then everybody died, right? Everybody was dead in sin, right? So, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge us that if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all. Now, we can ask that question, and some people think that there are some people that aren't covered by that word, all, okay? Um, but... I mean, we can look around and we can see um, other scriptures that show that uh, he died for the world. The all would in encompass and include all of humanity. Um, now, here's what's, a key, what's key about that, okay? Because the benefits of his death, okay, are not limited to the, his fellow Jews, to Paul's fellow Jews. They're not limited to, um, to just Gentiles but it extended out across all humanity, all boundaries of, of, uh, of religion, okay? Because you might have a, uh, somebody who is in a different religion that trusts Christ, now they become a follower of Christ, okay? And hopefully if they're in that false religion, they get out of that and begin to follow Jesus, okay? You might be um, slave and free, Jew and Gentile. Here's the key. Those who refuse to submit to Christ and they refuse to uh, allow God to bring them into um, relationship with him through the reconciliation that God, that Christ gives on the cross, then they remain in condemnation. They are forever condemned if they never trust Christ. Um, so only believers profit from Christ's death, but Christ died for all. I want you to take a look at John chapter 3. Again, it's one of my, I mean, it, it's, so, it's so strong. John chapter 3, and we could read, um, uh, 14 on through 21. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Whoever believes in him, whoever places their faith in Christ for forgiveness of sin and the taking away of their sin, should not perish, but have everlasting or eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him, the Son, should not perish, but have everlasting life. Why? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, 
but that the world through him might be saved. Why did he not send the world in the Christ into the world to condemn the world? Here's why. Because he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. He didn't have to send Jesus into the world to condemn anybody, okay? Because everybody was already condemned. Already condemned because we were sinners. Because we have that sin nature. We were born in sin. And because we want to live the way we want to live instead of following Christ. So, then he says, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Notice, it doesn't say he has not believed in somebody else. He has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. What is that name? Jesus. He has not believed in Jesus. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. And so what we see there is that so many people refuse to submit to Christ. They reject and rebuff God's reconciliation. They turn away from that. Why? Because they want to live their life. They would rather live their life in darkness and sin than they would like to live their life following Jesus Christ and living according to the light. They would rather... um, uh, do the things that they have been doing uh, all of their life than living the way Christ wants them to live. They would rather be um, not filled with the Spirit than having the Spirit dwell in them and giving them the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Got it. And so, he says, he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves. You see, if he died for all, then part of the purpose that he has in our life is for us to not live for ourselves anymore, but instead to live for him. And that's, I mean, you can see that um, in a lot of people. You can see it real strongly in the Apostle Paul. How many of you, because I'm really not sure that I would go through a lot of the stuff Paul went through, okay? But there's a cause, a reason to go through that. It's because of Jesus Christ, all right? If I was going searching for something, if there was something I wanted, and I faced all of those problems that he faced, I'd probably give up pretty quickly. You know, you know what I'm saying? If there was, I don't know. But yet if I'm following Christ, and it's a purpose that he has given me, an eternity that he has given me, the assurance of, of salvation that he has given me, and I know the call he's put on my life, I can keep going keep facing those trials, keep facing those troubles, keep facing those difficulties because of Christ living in me and because of what he has called me to do. And so we should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. That's an interesting phrase there. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. We've got to see something here, okay? Um, part of this whole idea is um, according to the flesh, according to the flesh, according to the flesh. Did Paul know Jesus according to the flesh? I mean, Paul may have seen Jesus from a distance. He may have listened to him teach, but did he really know him? Probably not. So when he says, um, uh, therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him. What he's talking about there is um, is um, is by well. Let me see if I can explain this. 
The Apostle Paul knew about Christ. He knew about the way he taught and what he did and what he said. He knew what people said about him after Jesus died, right? They said that Jesus was raised from the dead. And Paul's going, oh, pshaw. You know, no way. That's crazy. This guy, Paul would say, this guy, Jesus, okay, he was a fake and he was a fraud. And he was a blasphemer. And, um, and probably all kinds of other things about him because he was judging him how? According to the flesh. According to the knowledge that he had of humanity. That's how he was judging him. He wasn't judging him according to the spirit. He was judging him according to the flesh. He said, that's how I knew him. That's what I thought about him. That's what I expected of him. And he says, guess what? That's what I thought of people too. You know, especially followers of Christ. He says, now guess what? We don't judge people that way anymore. And we don't judge Jesus that way anymore. Why not? Because now he knows that Jesus wasn't a fake. Jesus wasn't a fraud. Jesus really, truly was and is the Son of God who takes away the sin of the world, right? So he says, we don't judge that way anymore. Now, all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. You know, if you're going to be reconciled to somebody, you have to have all the differences fixed. They have to be taken care of, right? If you're in an argument with somebody and they don't like what you said or you don't like what they said, in order to be reconciled, in order to make things up, you've got to kind of fix it. You've got to make an apology or get rid of those differences, okay? Guess what? We offended God, and, and rightly so. Not us rightly, him rightly. What we did to sin and to turn away from him and to choose our way instead of his way was an offense to God. And it had to be fixed. And in order to bring us back to him, he had to take care of all of that offenses. And the way that he did that was to put his son on the cross, to die for us, to shed his blood for us, so that we could be reconciled or brought back to God, so that we could now, instead of being enemies of God, we could now be friends of God, followers of God, lovers of Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us that, um, that he gave us that, that ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You know what? I rely on that verse every day. Sometimes in the morning when I wake up or throughout the day, I'm going, that's not very new. I mean, I remember that from before I got saved. That's not very new. But the news is, God is making it new. I, I really, really wish that when I trusted Christ, he would have made me perfect. He didn't. He didn't. And there are some things in my life that God is still working on. God is still working on some things. Attitude, you know, those kind of things. I tell you what, this week, this week was a, and I don't usually get this way, but this week I was pressed. You know, I was hard pressed because of all the things that are happening. Okay? I just hear it real quickly. You know, I said Sweet Peas. You know, I drive a school bus. And yet I was the power of attorney for Stan, which meant I was in charge of working up the arrangements. But I couldn't get in touch with anybody. I didn't know what anybody expected. I had no clue what to do or how to work things out. And I was thinking, well, if we're going to have a burial, it can't be Monday because all the cities are closed. There's no service for that. All right? 
And but if I do it on Tuesday, okay, I'm substitute teaching Tuesday. I'm also driving a school bus. It's easy to find somebody to cover the substitute teaching, but to drive a school bus, we have two drivers at our location. Okay? they got to bring somebody from Bloomington to come cover that. What if I do it on Wednesday? Same thing. This is tough. If I do it on Thursday, how can I get down there quickly enough to get things done? I was pretty concerned. I was under some pressure. And yet God answered that prayer. Because in talking to his sister, we worked things out that things are going to happen on Monday. I say that because sometimes, not very often, but sometimes I let pressure get to me. I get a little worried. I get a little concerned. Most of the time, I'm not like that. It's just like, if there's a problem, fix it. If we can't fix it, well, guess what? Nothing you can do about it. Just let it go, right? That's how I am most of the time. But this time, I knew something needed to be done. I was a little pressed. I was kind of concerned. There are other things. Again, you all know this one. I don't like to drive through a 65. You know that. I've said that tons of times. God's still working on that, you know? Cruise control is a good thing. And so, even though it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Guess what? All things are new. Guess what? There's still some new to come. There's still some changes to come. You are not going to be, and I am not going to be, perfected in this life until this body is no more. Until we, are, we enter into the presence of, of Jehovah, Yahweh, and Jesus Christ. Right? So... Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, given us the ministry of reconciliation. It's our job to bring people to Christ by telling them what? That God was, and here it is. Here's that ministry of reconciliation. Telling them that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Isn't that cool? Isn't that so cool? Think about John. Um, in John 1. I love the book of John. John 1. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Okay? So the one that came, Jesus Christ, he wasn't known as Jesus throughout eternity but he was throughout eternity. There is not a time when Jesus did not exist. There is a time when he was not in the flesh because the book of John tells, tells us, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, tabernacled among us, okay? But there's not a time when he did not exist. And so God in Christ came, reconciled the world, world to himself in Christ, not imputing their trespasses to them. You know what that means? You know what that means? If you're in Christ, not a one of your sins count against you. Not one of them. You know what? And, and if not one of them does, then guess what? You're forgiven and you're given the righteousness of Christ. I don't know about you, but that thrills me, okay? That, to me, that's exciting. Because, you know what? I have a lot of those. None of them count against me because of Christ because of the fact that he died and because of the fact that I've trusted him and put my faith in him for eternal salvation and reconciliation with God. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. Anybody know that verse? Yeah, every royal ambassador in the world knew that verse. We are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf. As though God were pleading through us. It's not just us speaking telling you about Jesus. God is the one speaking through us, trying to convince you that he is God and that Jesus is his son and the savior of the world. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. How do you do that? How do you become reconciled to God? Do you have to wash away your own sin? Absolutely not, you can't. Do you have to, have to become perfect? Absolutely not, you can't. 
how do you become reconciled to God? Through Christ, by putting your faith in him, by believing in Jesus Christ, the son of God. And he takes care of the rest. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now that says so much that I can't unpack it in the next three or four minutes. He made him, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin. Guess what? Jesus never sinned. If Jesus had sinned one time, his offering, his sacrifice on that cross wouldn't have been good enough. It wouldn't have done it. If there's sin in him, he couldn't have washed away your sin. He couldn't have taken away your sin. And I think that's really cool. You take a look at, at John 1, 29 and 36. You remember what that says? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You remember what happened in the Hebrew sacrificial system? What happened in the Hebrew sacrificial system was they would take a lamb and a goat. They would sacrifice the lamb. They would shed its blood. They would take the goat, and the high priest would lay his hands on that goat, symbolically laying the sin of all of the Hebrew people on that goat. They would let that that goat go into the wilderness where it would presumably fall off a cliff and die or be eaten by a wild animal. It was the scapegoat. It was the one that took their sin because they couldn't. Jesus Christ did that very same thing. He took your sin, he took my sin, he took the sin of all the world on himself so that we wouldn't have to. And putting our faith in him gives us the eternal life that we cannot provide for ourselves. Gives us forgiveness of sins. Gives us, uh, gives us the spirit of God living in our hearts. We can't do it on our own. How are we reconciled to God? Through faith. In his son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the um, pleasure of bringing the word to your people. I thank you for, um, for the reconciliation that you provide through your son. That we couldn't do it, but you did. That Jesus died, shed his blood, rose from the grave, and is now at your side, interceding for us. Father, we thank you for that. And Father, if there's somebody here today that has not trusted in your son, has not put their faith in him for eternal salvation, Father, I pray that today will be the day that they are reconciled to you through him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.